listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode 103 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is James Kent. James is the technical analyst at France Rugby, as well as academy coach at Stade Francais. He also has roles with Monaco Rugby Sevens and is the director of rugby at Rugby Club Luxembourg. And it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, James. Thanks very much, Andy. I've been a keen listener for a number of years, so honoured to be on. Ah, sweet. Ah, great to have you on, and um, especially considering how, how France are, uh, are faring at the moment. So looking forward to getting stuck into that kind of conversation. What about, what about you're a bit of an internationalist, mate. You're, you're half French, half Australian, born, yeah. grew up in England, um, played in Spain. You're like an international man of mystery. What was, uh, what was your, your playing kind of time like uh, in those early days? Well, uh, no, but playing backstory, I wasn't an elite player by any means. I, um, I played a bit in the UK, um, you know, whilst uh, at school there and then, Went over to Spain. I was playing in the uh, in the Spanish comp. Um, I did a preseason at Richmond, and then ended up going to Spain, mm. um, which turned out pretty well for me. Uh, playing for Alcobendas, and then tore my ACL pretty early on, age twenty one, which is when I started getting into coaching because uh, I wanted to stay involved with the club. Mm. Uh, came back from that, and then uh, a few years later, uh, fractured my tibia playing rugby league. So. I um yeah sort of bombarded with injuries early on, but I think mm. you know that also had a a positive impact on my uh, my coaching. Yeah, got got you into the game earlier. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I sort of went through the transition of being a player coach, uh, which was obviously Correct. not an easy role. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, something I'd never do again if I could play. But yeah. um, I think it takes a really special person to be able to try and be a player coach. Mm, um, and do it really well too. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, the, I suppose expect to, to have tough talks with guys who are your mates and mm. who you play with and then be out on the source with them the two nights mm. before. Um, it's, yeah, it takes a talented, talented negotiator and uh, mm. probably someone with quite high emotional intelligence. Yeah, no, that was definitely my pitfall the emotional intelligence was uh the big one it's like i'll, I'll get the results just by screaming at them um, yeah was usually the default setting uh but uh yeah it didn't take long to realize that's not at all effective I, th- I think that was my my mistake earlier on as well was coaching the way that i'd been coached because that's mm. what you relate to mm. um so i think that was uh that was just a natural way to go about it and i'd skip at the team as well for for a couple of years so yeah I suppose that there was no real um, difference between coaching and captaincy for me at that mm. point. In retrospect, mm. obviously now I, I, I can see it, but at the time you just assumed that was the way it was done. Yeah, yeah. That was one thing when I started as a player coach that I I initially said, no, I, I can't be captain as well. well partly because, I, I, you know, there's better options and you know better players too. But 
um, just that extra mental kind of bandwidth that that gets taken up from being the captain. It would have just been uh, would have been pretty pretty ugly at yeah. my end. And you sort of see it through two different lenses as well, because if you're you know caught up into the into the coaching world, then you fail to see what you're doing yourself. Mm. And then if you put your player glasses on, then it's impossible to see the bigger picture. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. And apart from that uh, aspect, what were some other of the other big kind of takeaways from those early coaching days in Spain? Um, I'd say, well, definitely not not be a player coach again. Um, mm. But uh, I think being able to coach um, a variety of people, I think coaching in another language for me was mm. a big yeah. learning um, occasion because it, it forced me to communicate and communicate simpler terms um and probably try and get my message across in a more blunt fashion but mm. um i think that definitely helped my communication uh with players uh and not get my words muddled around and you know stick to the point so i think that was a, that was definitely a big learning experience and then i suppose another learning experience i had a bit a few years later on was uh was in canada when i, I wasn't sure whether i wanted to go down the coaching route um, entirely and I was you know going back and forth on the idea of maybe in the more in a management role and and uh, it was actually Scotty Hansen the current Crusaders coach who was with uh, Kieran Crowley on his staff I was rooming with him and I remember him just telling me well what are you more passionate about are you more passionate about coaching are you more passionate about management so that kind of stuck with me mm. as simple as it was and um, yeah. I think that really flicked the switch and that was quite a big learning for me at that time yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point, and one one that you can you know you start you can lose that 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 vision uh, sometimes when you when you get bogged down. And what about yeah. what about after Spain? You you mentioned Canada there. There was uh, you know stop stop off for a few years in Canada as well, and now you're in Luxembourg. What's what's that journey been like in in terms of coaching and the adventure? It's been um it's been a bit of a domino effect. I um I couldn't have imagine that I would have stayed that long in Canada and that I originally went over for three months um, mm. after having worked a week as a liaison officer for the Canada Sevens in Houston right. when I was living in New York. And um, I got back to New York and I was working at a startup company um, and uh, I realised that the, the cubicle life wasn't for me. I wanted to get back into mm. rugby. And from there, I reached out to uh, Steve Lancaster, who was the high performance manager yeah. at the time. And asked him if there were any opportunities, you know, I'd, could I apply for him. And uh, six months later, I was uh, landing in Victoria for what was meant to be three months. Mm. Um, basically, a bit of an assistant helping um, from an operation standpoint, helping learning about analysis, learning how to code, mm-hmm. um, sort of jack of all trades. And then from that, they asked me if I was keen to go on the men's tour Um uh, for the test matches against Scotland and uh, Japan. Um, and after that, that just sort of, again, trickled onto the Women's World Cup in, in 2014. So it was, you know, it was it was great because I met some great coaches there and I met guys like Francois Rattier, who I worked with in 2016 on the men's tour and again, 2017, in the World Cup. And he, um, he had a big impact on my coaching. Um, you know, it was, I suppose my uh, my eye into the the coaching world and mm. um i got i suppose more passionate about it as well uh working with guys like kieran as well from the outside looking in for a while it was 
Robbie Canada at that point had some really good coaches to learn from with a lot of experience um, on the sevens and the fifteens front. So I think my passion grew with that. And then um, afterwards in 2017, when, uh, when we finished the world cup, my, uh, my wife found a, a job in Luxembourg. So we moved over here and, uh, from that, I ended up coaching, um, being assistant coach in the, in the national team, yep. which was, a, again, a really good experience for me because I'd come from Rugby Canada, uh, tier two nation at the time, to Luxembourg, who were down the pecking order, probably mm. 63rd um, in the rankings. And so for me, it was an eye-opener because we didn't have the same resources. Mm. Um, we didn't have necessarily the same... Uh, financial investments or probably investments from from athletes and then didn't have the same depth Uh, so that was a great experience that just to I suppose adapt in my coaching style Um, I had to to change it up and make it a little bit simpler and probably simplify it again in in order of you know how we were going to conduct our season and how what patterns we could run knowing that we didn't necessarily have the the players that could do what uh, I'd originally planned. You come in thinking, you know, you can have a big impact with all these ideas, but mm. you have to have to cross them out and just simplify it. That mm. was my big my big learning when I arrived here. Yeah, I've I've made that mistake too, where you you go into a certain setting with this preconceived idea of they're going to be at this level, and then you get there and you realize. Well, there's one or two at that level, but there's actually a bunch who are here, and then there are a bigger bunch who are down here as well. So that's yeah. a that's a huge challenge creating sessions that that deliver something for for all of that that playing group. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I suppose even from an investment point of view, even though the women at the time in Canada were on a, a pay to play um, mm. uh, scheme, it was here it was also uh, amateur, and so. Mm. You know, it was interesting to compare, to have those comparisons uh, playing for the national team and the pride that, you know, Canadians have, for example, of, of um, donning the maple leaf. And, and here there's such a mix of expats. Uh, the team, we've probably 50% Luxembourg and 50% expats. So mm. yeah, that made it interesting to, to see how do you work with uh, the French who have a certain way of being coached and how do you work with the I would say the, the Anglophones who have another way of being coached. So yeah. that also made it quite a, quite the challenge. Nice. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. And, um, you know, somewhere along the line there in your, your time at Luxembourg, the, the academy coaching role popped up at uh, Stade Francais. How, how did that start? And what, what is your kind of role, your day-to-day look like in, in that role? Uh, so I came about, I'd, when I arrived, I was trying to look for a professional club around here and mm. couldn't find any that were within a, a driving distance well, mm. reasonable driving distance. Uh, but I did find in Germany, there was the, the world Academy and right. I, they were about a two hour drive and I reached out to them and their coach at the time, Kobe's Potgita, South African guy invited mm. me down to spend the day with them. And he actually then moved to Stade Francais because the owner of Capri Sun uh, bought Stade Francais, but he also owned this Academy German guy and uh, took Kobus with him. And then about, oh, I'd say 12 months later, um, Kobus told me they might be needing an, an, you know, an analyst um, almost a voluntary basis mm. um, for the Academy. 
mm. and asked me if I was keen to to do it. So it started off as an analysis gig, and then um, afterwards became more of a skills based uh, role. And mm-hmm. so now that was in 2019, and now it's uh, it's pretty much uh, I'd say 80 percent skills. So we work day to day. I'd say it'd be morning we'll work with a lot of the CDF players, which are the Centre Formation. So mm-hmm. they are the um, academy guys who are on contract. Right. They are able to train and play with the pros. Uh, so if guys are on international duty or mm. injuries, they're, they're the ones that are able to play top 14 in Champions Cup. Um, so do a lot of individual skills with them and reduced uh, group skills work with them. And then in the afternoon, I work with the PCF, which is a présent de formation. So it's these are the guys who are wanting to get a contract in the tw- in the next twelve to eighteen months. Uh, so they'll be a, a year or two younger, but still looking to to try and uh, mm. and get a, a professional contract out of it. Um, so that's yeah, that keeps me busy. Yeah. So is that is that every day of the week, uh, three days a week? How's that? How's that work? So it's yeah, three days a week. So the Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. Right. Yeah. And then and so then, you you then stay overnight and then come back on the Wednesday night back to Luxembourg, or do you commute every day? No, Monday mornings, I um, hop on the uh, the five fifty nine a.m. train and then nice. Shoots me into Paris about eight twenty. They couldn't and make then, it six, could they? They just nah, had to be five fifty nine. Five fifty nine, and then um, and then on the Wednesday Wednesday afternoon, I'm back, um, and then I'm straight into club uh, coaching at uh, Rugby Club Luxembourg on the Wednesday evenings. Right, right, and that's uh, so you got some spinning some plates there. How's how's the uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> how do, how do you go like separating all those roles and uh, and you know, making sure that you, you, you're doing a good job at all of them. I think the, um, yeah, definitely sp- spinning places is, is, is probably right. I mean, trying to, to adapt to the, um, the players that you have. So in the morning I'll be, you know, working with guys who are in the academy and then evening I'll be back in Luxembourg working with amateur players who, you know, are keen on throwing around a, a, a ball and, having a beer after mm. so it's it's almost having to, to take myself I used to make the mistake of wanting to implement things that I've seen that week straight away into into club and that obviously doesn't work as well as you'd like 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 mm. we mentioned before it works with some players but you you have to go the slowest rate of the, of the probably one of the the newest guys so mm. um, by progressing I suppose on a slower slower scale, uh, using, you know, reducing time, reducing space. Mm. Uh, that's a big help for me. Um, mm. I think not trying to do too much um, is also key because we've only got two training sessions a week with the club. Mm. Um, so the temptation is to, to try and bring in, um, you know, more than, more than we can chew off. Mm. Um, but I think... Yeah, being able to do that and bounce. It's, t- it's taken me two years to really, I suppose, grasp it. Mm. Um, it hasn't been easy because I've had, the, you know, the, the the French gig on the side as well. And the, the temptation, like I say, is to, to want to try and, <laughs> and correct everything you see. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. do rely heavily on, um, on the coaches that I coach with at the club 
because you know we've got a good relationship. One of them was the head coach um, with the national team with me um, for mm. Luxembourg, so we've got a good good relationship. And he's he's not afraid to tell me, well, this might be a little bit out of their league or this, mm. you know. And he'll he'll bring me back down to earth on it. So yeah. uh, I think it's important to surround yourself with people like that. Yeah, yeah, that is really important to to give you that that feedback that maybe you you've got the blinkers on you've you've missed. Cool, tends you, to happen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to all of us. Um, exactly. And you had a had a bit of time with the French U twenty team, which is which is cool. They are you know the current senior squad. A lot of those players uh, came out of that French team a, a few years ago. Who the U twenty team who were pretty sensational. Um, what what was that experience like? What was your role there? Uh, so my role was a dual role. I was brought on um, as a entraîneur vidéo, which translates to video coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, some responsibilities were to, to look at opposition analysis, um, do individual player analysis as well, uh, work with players on individual, uh, basis, go over their games. Um, and then also then that started working more onto skills. So on the park, um, in extra sessions that we'd have or working in the gym on some, some micro skills. Uh, so that was really really interesting time for me because it was my first time being involved with a team of that higher standard. Mm. Um, and again, I, I I sort of looked at the bigger picture once I was in there and I said, well, I've now been fortunate enough to, you know, work with a, a tier two nation, tier one nation, tier three nation. And mm. um, I think that also helped a lot um, knowing, you know, the, the, I suppose the the luxuries that we we had available to us, um, as far as you know, analysis equipment and yeah. things that we didn't necessarily have or just before equipment, or just equipment, <laughs> <laughs> just a few extra hit shields. Yeah, yeah. So no, so I think I think that um, it was a really interesting role, um, and then that obviously opened a few doors for me. I met some some coaches there, um, met people within the federation, and. I suppose it was quite funny because when I started, um, I started at Stud say three months before, mm. and I sort of felt like I'd come full circle because 2014, my first big experience, I suppose, with the Women's World Cup in Paris, mm. and we were actually based at Marcoussi, which was now my my you know place of work. But mm. my other place of work was Stade Francais' home ground where we played our semi-final against France and mm. played the final against England. So, um, yeah, it was quite quite funny at that at that time because it it was all sort of flashbacks from, uh, yeah, nice. from previous years well just listening to your story it, it sounds like um you know making connections and networking has been a, a a massive part of the journey would you would you agree with that 100 yeah. percent. yeah i think i think you need to to take risks and you know pick up the phone or send a message on on linkedin or email guys because you never know who might help you open that door. Mm. Um, you know, they might open a door. They might give you some information that you might apply. And I think, you know, I um, this, the concept of sharing ideas, just when you had Wayne Smith on the, on the pod, I know yeah. he's a big advocate of it. And mm. I think his philosophy is totally on point because it's the more open you are, the more ideas you'll get back and the more help you'll receive as well. Mm. And, I think in this line of work, you do you do need people to give you a helping hand, to give you a help, you know, a leg up. And um, I think 
my whole journey the last you know seven eight years has been down to connections and down to relationships and I think working on your soft skills as a coach not only with your players but with your coaching staff with the people that you meet um, you never know what might happen so yeah yeah, I 100% agree with it yeah cool Um, after that French role you you you've now in your your current role one of your many current roles uh, one of the one of the plates or this is probably two or three plates I'd say um, <laughs> your your current role is a technical analyst uh, for France Rugby uh, talk to me a little bit about that and how how epic that must have been to to get that role initially yeah so it was a bit of a surprise because um, I was working with the preparing the Six Nations for the U20s which had been postponed last year to the summer mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, six weeks before I got tapped on the shoulder and asked if I was keen to go to Australia um, with a senior French team to, to play the Wallabies. And that was obviously surreal being French Australian. And yeah. I, I don't think that could have, I could have been better suited, but um, yeah, I, my role with that was looking at the, the Wallabies kicking game um, specifically. So looking at, you know, that from a, a technical perspective, uh, their their main kickers, their foot, right foot, uh, tendencies, ticks they might have, um, areas of the field that we can maybe exploit. I was working a lot with the kicking coach, Floxy, is as well, uh, from a distance because unfortunately he wasn't able to come. Um, so that was that was great for me because I also was able to look at a lot of the young Australian players with, which the French didn't necessarily know about, mm. but you know having kept an eye on super rugby and shoot shield and mm. i do like to watch um to watch what goes on out there so i suppose that also gave me a, an advantage in that point mm. yeah well it's i i've i've always been a, a fan of french rugby I, I think ever since um i was in wales for the 99 world cup final uh where Gladly, yep. uh, the Aussies won that one, but that French yep. team was was pretty incredible. Uh, they had uh, Pierre Vilpro as their uh, assistant coach, and they were playing some amazing rugby. And then then they went through a big stage where kind of bigger is better, and uh, that French flair what wasn't there anymore. And now it seems to be really back, especially especially in, well, not dismissing the defense, but in attack. I'm, I'm loving what they're doing. What 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 have been some of the kind of key metrics from an analyst point of view that that you that you're keeping track of in terms of uh, the team's attack. I think um, there's been a big emphasis on their work off the ball. Mm. Um, I think that's something that didn't necessarily come naturally uh, to French players, and I think mm. uh, now with the use of, of GPS and, and data, they've they've really you know hammered down that point. Um, the fact that they can be a threat off the ball, um, be quick enough to be in a position to to do something with the ball. Uh, so I think the that kind of emphasis and guys who are willing to to work um, at high intensity um, is you know they train at a high at high intensity as well and that shows on the field. Um, I think that as well the the kicking game has uh, has come on leaps and bounds. Um, culturally speaking, French rugby if you kick the ball away. Um, it's because, you know, you've run out of ideas and you're sort of, you don't want to kick. It sort of comes out as a last resort, culturally mm. speaking. Um, mm. You know, their tens have, have been mainly guys who want to run the ball and jouer, jouer, um, yeah. to use the stereotype. But I think now they've become a real threat with their short kicking game and 
they're also using their kicking game to regain possession in other parts of the field. Mm. Um, and I think the new laws as well are helping that. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, that'll, with the new laws coming in, having come in this season, I think, you know, they'll, they'll use that to, to their advantage as well yeah. as well yeah. other teams. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm definitely seeing a lot more intent uh, around offloading and getting in behind the defense and, and quickness of ball at the breakdown. It's, it's been, uh, it's been awesome to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Their ruck speed is, is definitely as well um, improved on that front. And I suppose that also comes back to guys working off the ball to be in a position to secure it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And if you were, if you were a club coach and you wanted to kind of look at working off the ball, how, how, how could you do, how would you advise club coaches to do that in terms of like analysis without it being too burdensome? I think just something as simple, if you, obviously you're not, you're not going to have the GPS units at every club. And mm. I think just something as important as showing them, showing them some images, showing them some mm. video of, of guys, what are they doing once that ball's left the ruck, guys on the blind side, are they realigning? At pace, are they, you know, in a position to catch the ball? They've got their backs turned towards the the defensive line. Who's coming around the corner? I think if you can probably pick guys who are doing it naturally and mm. put the focus on that, as, a, as a, put a positive spin on it, as opposed to the guys who are struggling to get around the corner or struggling to to get themselves into position. But there's always guys that will be doing it. So I suppose is really trying to spot who those guys are and. And using them as examples and using them as uh, as your strength mm-hmm. and then just trying to get guys to, to buy into it. Hi, coaches. Well, ever since announcing my goal to launch the Evolve online coaching course this year, I've had a few questions around the meaning of the name Evolve. Well, firstly, Evolve is an acronym based on the title for each module. And within those modules are chapters dealing with content around session delivery, team culture, how to improve attendance through the environment you create, the science of coaching, coach health, and many more. As well as this, Evolve is also a description of my personal experience and growth as a coach from running this podcast over six years. The changes in my coaching philosophy, methodologies, creativity, and weekly training cycle, among other things, have really been immeasurable. The catchphrase of the pod has always been sharing ideas to make the game better. And the game gets better when we as coaches get better. So that's my goal with Evolve. Provide an online course based on 100 plus interviews with some amazing coaches so that people can grow and develop at their own pace in the comfort of their own home. Stay tuned for more updates, but for now, kick back and enjoy this episode. Obviously, you're, you're part Australian, uh, so working working for France in Australia must have been a, a, a pretty uh, crazy experience. What, what was that like and um, how, how was the, 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 the roller coaster ride? Oh, mate, it was uh, arriving at Sydney Airport in itself was a roller coaster. I was the only bloke holding an Australian passport to go into <laughs> Australia with a wearing French gear. Yeah, so you get to go we, to the um, special line. That's good. Got a, yeah, we well, with COVID and everything. It was a bit, you know, we were all sort of thrust into into mm. one area like like cattle. But um, when we checked in the airport into the hotel, um, we had to go in quarantine for two weeks. So yeah, um, police were there checking us in. Sorry, you grabbed the two four of VB. <laughs> yeah, if if only we'd had time to stop. <laughs> but um, we, um, yeah, the police had a good chuckle and they saw my passport and mm. I uh, 
I sort of had to communicate a few of the times with the translator, but um, <laughs> no, it was it, it was it was awesome. I mean, it was something obviously that I hadn't imagined um, happening, you know, mm. even last year. Mm. Um, so it was, and for me to go back to Sydney, even though you know we didn't actually play in Sydney because of COVID, and we ended up playing two tests in Brisbane and mm. uh, one in Melbourne. Um, it was still a phenomenal experience to be able to to you know I suppose be at that level be surrounded yeah. by the players and coaches and massive learning experience for me came back with a notebook you know mm. stacked with notes and and then at the same time you know plotting the the demise of a you know a team that I'd always sort of grown up watching and, and supporting mm. and when we lost that first test I was I was um I'd never been that angry that the Wallabies had won. I'll put it that way. <laughs> so yeah. there was there were some new emotions in there as well. Yeah. Um, but I think you know working alongside Sean Edwards, he was he was great for me because um, being another English speaker, we had a lot of um, a lot of exchanges, and he knew I was interested in coaching and you know especially the defensive side of things. So yeah, he'd always yeah. he'd always challenge me um, as a coach. Um, you know, he he get me to want to hear my thoughts on certain things, and so that was that was good for me because it kept me on my toes. And I suppose, you know, you're getting challenged by coaches like that. It's it's phenomenal learning experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's he's a massive coup for French rugby for for them to have him and immediate impact too. As soon as he came on board, you could see the shape and structure and, and like work rate as well. Uh, just yeah. go through the roof. Yeah, no, and guys, and guys. I mean, I also heard it with guys who played under him at Wasps and Wales, but they uh, they want to play for him. Mm. Um, so it's yeah, it's uh, it's impressive, and his French has come on as well. So it's um, nice. he's, uh, he's he's really got some buying from uh, from all the players. That's cool. That's important. And what what about the the overall results? Um, great for a Wallabies fan tough for uh, uh, a French rugby fan and employee what um what do you think like two two losses within well I think one by two points the other by three what um what were some of the the big learnings coming away from that for the for the team in terms of how that could have gone the other way I think we had um we learned that we had a lot of depth um mm. especially yeah. with the younger guys because we we didn't have a lot were back in France yeah, we had the top 14 finals um, and obviously with the two-week quarantine, a lot of guys couldn't then fly mm. over after the finals. Um, so I think the, I suppose the level of the guys who came on that trip and came on that tour, uh, there was a guy, you know, the 15 Jamine, he mm. never even played top 14. He was mm. playing Pro D2. Um, and he real? was the... Yeah, he was the you know the revolution of the tour basically. Um, so I think that the, that depth was definitely one positive uh, positive learning, and then secondly, probably the resilience as well that they showed mm. because we had been in quarantine for two weeks. They had had a season from hell with COVID, guys getting infected with COVID, and this was COVID at its peak. Mm. Um, they had been playing in front of zero fans. And suddenly they're coming and playing in front of packed stadiums. So we didn't know mm. what kind of effect that would have on them, um, whether they'd be, you know, overwhelmed by uh, by the crowds after a year of not playing in them. So being able to to then come back in the second test and almost find ourselves in the same situation where 
you know, Australia who get a penalty two minutes to go, kick for touch, hit hit it up in the middle. Um, we managed to get the turnover. You know, the second test it was Seku Makalu, first test Jonathan Dunty. And then I think it was almost a copycat. We could have uh we could have kicked for touch like we did in the first and then mm. make a mess of the line out and ultimately lose it. But instead, second test karma heads and having that learning experience from four days, five days earlier, uh, just to tap, create a ruck and boom, kick it out. Yeah. Simpler, simpler way to go. Yes. First thing Sean said to me after, he's like, why didn't we do that in the first test? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, you know, if you, if, if people are going to look back at previous French teams, that's, that is often the criticism is that that discipline, not just like the, the discipline with cards and things like that, but just the game management discipline as well. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, that ultimately was a learning experience. Um, and I think you look at how they how they managed the game against, uh, against New Zealand and um, that was obviously going to be the ultimate test mm. um, to see how they went. And um, no, it was, it was really, really good. Yeah, awesome. Um, moving on, what uh, you, you're now into, the, you know, Six Nations prep. What uh, what does that look like in terms of your role uh, and the work that's that's required coming up? There's um, obviously a heavy focus placed on analysis opposition, mm-hmm. uh, or opposition of analysis, I would say. Um, I was saying that in French in my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, obviously big, big focus on that. Um, our games against them and then their games against uh, more recent opposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and then trying to see what the content of sessions are going to be like, uh, having to simplify the, the message. Uh, the big difference between club and national is, is the time that you get with the players. Yeah. Um, so, you know, simplicity is, is by far going to be your, your best lever to try and get information across, especially to guys who are coming into the environment for the first time. Mm. Um, and these days they're, they're big squads and, under 20 level and at senior level, um, you know, there's 40, 40 odd guys coming in. So um, you need to be very precise in what you want to bring across on the field and then off the field, make maximize the time with your uh, video sessions, with your tactical sessions and, uh, and your on field sessions. Mm. Yeah. And uh, what, what, what are we, what are we expecting from the French this year? I think if they I want can to win, pick, just quietly. <laughs> a win, it's time. A, yeah, a win would be good if they can, you know, pick up where they left off against mm. New Zealand. That'd be a good start, and then yeah. I suppose the challenge is to maintain that standard and, and back up a performance like that. Um, yeah. Eighteen months out from the World Cup as well, I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty fascinating Six Nations Day. Yeah, because all, all you know, England and Ireland are looking good. Scotland looking good. Italy got Kieran there now as well, mm, yeah, um, and Wales as well had some uh, some surprising wins there in November. So, yeah, and lots of different styles of rugby too, just subtleties between each nation as well, which uh, which is always fascinating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Um, all right, you just uh, you just completed your masters in. Is if you weren't doing enough, you just completed uh, your master. You're making every other coach feel bad with the amount of work you do. But, oh, um, <laughs> side, side note, um, you just completed your masters in coaching from uh, Staffordshire University. Uh, 
from from that experience, if you were to pass on a few kind of big rocks of you know key learnings to coaches, uh, what would they be? Well, just just to your point, there will believe me, there were times when I wondered, what am I doing? Why did I sign up to do this? <laughs> <laughs> well, we were lucky we had quarantine for two weeks in Australia, so I could mm. finish off my thesis. That was right. My um, yeah, I, I think one of my main learnings was was doing my thesis because it was on coach development during COVID. Um, mm. So I was able to to interview a whole range of coaches from grassroots all the way up to, you know, international level um, to see how they had learned and continued to develop as coaches throughout the uh, lockdowns. And for me, that big learning was as cliche as it sounds, it's you never stop learning as a coach. Mm. And um, again, Wayne Smith and your, and your 100th said the same thing. I mean, the emphasis on learning is so big that, I was able to see, yes, there may be different ways of learning, um, especially, you know, with older coaches, they may not have the same approach as the younger ones. And mm-hmm. those with more experience, you know, seek information different ways to, to guys with less experience. But ultimately, it all comes down to continuing to learn, mm-hmm. uh, not just about the game, but how you coach, um, you know, whether it's taking it from other sports um, and for me, that was an eye opener because you may think that a guy at the top knows it all and isn't mm-hmm. looking to continue getting better and continue learning, even if it's just simple things, but you'd be surprised. Yeah. And some of those guys are, you know, looking just as much um, at you know, the information that a, a grassroots coach are looking at. So yeah. um, that was probably my, my biggest takeaway and just, you know, whether it's reading podcasts, just having a chat with with other people, there's a, there's a whole variety of ways we can learn. So, um, yeah, it was it was pretty much my main one. Yeah, nice. And I also mentioned, um, well, I didn't mention it in the intro, but um, previous correspondence, you did the the IRAN's high performance coaching course in in New Zealand. That's that's right up there in uh, in terms of uh, things for people to check off yeah. their uh, coaching bucket list. What what was that experience like? Highly recommend it. Um, I think for me that cemented my the idea of sharing information um, and networking because I met some some you know great coaches on that course, guys from all over the world, coaching all kinds of levels, um, and then the course facilitators as well. We had Graham Henry there, we had uh, John Plumtree there, so mm. a lot of guys with experience, and if if you're keen on your coaching, it's something that I'd definitely, um, definitely recommend. It's a, uh, it's well worth the investment. Yeah. And it's full immersion for a week. And yeah. Two, two, the, two the high weeks, performance yeah. one was full. Yeah. Full immersion, two weeks. And you start at eight, you finish at eight, you're in the boardroom, you're on the field, you're in the boardroom out in the field. And it touches everything from, you know, leadership to nutrition, to S and C to then the, the tactical elements of the game. Mm. Um, how to create the environment as well. So it's, you know, it's um, that was that was big for me as well. Huge, uh, huge learnings there. Awesome, cool. Uh, all right, well, it's been awesome chatting. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit the final four questions now. Um, when you were a kid growing up in uh, whatever hemisphere you were growing <laughs> up in, uh, who was who was some of the players that uh, that got you in the rugby and and uh, got you excited about the game? I um as a as a 
back, I was quite keen on uh, Chris Latham and uh, yeah. Lottie Takiri, yeah, um, nice. also as a as a leaguey. But um, even though you know Lottie was a Queenslander, what can you do? But uh, yeah, and Latham, but, and Latham, and Latham. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. But uh, they they obviously just I think they had a big impact in uh, the way Australia played in those early two thousands. Mm. Um, you know, because um, it was sort of the era of of big backs with Mortlock and yeah, Sailor. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I think at the time I was a slightly bigger back as well, and mm. so I could almost relate. I wasn't the quickest, so yeah, or the most yeah. skilled, but I could almost uh, assimilate. I suppose to those, that kind of that kind of player. So, so with your with your analyst hat on, would you say that in the two thousand three final, uh, Australia should have cross field kicked? All day to Lottie Takiri, as opposed to just once. Hundred percent. And I thought, <laughs> I think, I think that kind of tactic. You know, you sort of fall out as well. I think mm. they, that kind of tactic can definitely come back as guys get more aesthetic, mm. especially when you've got a, a mismatch yeah. like uh, Takiri and Robinson. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, nice one. And um, what about now? Who are some of the players uh, you like watching go around? Um, I like what Damien Dalendi does. Yeah, um, I think he's a, a big back. Yeah, but he's 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 a threat on all all surfaces. He can mm. he can kick, he can step, he can pass. You know, he's a he's a triple triple threat kind of play. And then Peter Aki as well at Toulouse. Yeah, um, a guy who sort of flies a little bit under the radar, but um, you know those two guys, those those kind of players, put bums on seats um, mm. when they play and. I think that's what uh, that's what rugby needs as well, especially at the moment. Mm, um, yeah, because you've got your you've got your superstars as well that do that. But I think those those two guys who can light up a um, a moment in a match, I think they're they're pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And uh, what about coaches? Who are some of the high profile coaches that you you respect what they're doing? Um, obviously. Um, I have, to, I have to mention Sean just because of the the impact he's had on me in the last you know few months and mm. um, how much I've, I've picked his brain. Um, you know, there's there's a ton of them out there, um, even from other other codes. Trent Robinson, I, I like what he's doing, and I'd you know I'd be fascinated to have a chat with him at some point. Um, it was interesting actually working with uh, with Freddie Mishlak with Monaco because mm. he'd been the assistant coach uh, right. at the Roosters are doing the skills for the last year or two, so. Um, it was almost like I was picking Trent Robinson's brain through Freddie, Freddie Mishlake as to you know <laughs> what kind of things they're doing in league and uh, mm. and how they how they work. So no, that was that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah, cool. All right, and final question: What about someone in the grassroots who's uh, doing good work and deserves some recognition? Uh, in, in in Luxembourg, there's. Um, yeah, John Flynn. I think he's he's the uh, coach I spoke about earlier, who mm. I coach with at national level, and uh, he's also one of the uh, coaches at the club. Um, I think he's doing he's doing some good work. He's been here for a while. Um, over in you call him Flynny? I don't actually. No, you don't. <laughs> I probably okay. should. Probably yeah. will now. <laughs> good. All right. Flynny, Carry if you're on. listening. If you're listening, mate. Um, and then over in Paris, I think not exactly grassroots, but up and coming coaches, um, Kobus Podgita. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, he coached Germany, and he's he's now working with the the pros this season. And I think he's 
he's got a great way of uh, of looking at the game. He's very very detailed. Um, and same another one with it would be uh, Ohman Kamignani, who's the assistant coach at La Rochelle, guy okay. who I worked with at under twenties. Um, but both coaches who are super open, um, mm. very very keen to learn. Um, you know they've been they've done a lot of professional development. Um, so they, I think those coaches are, it shows straight away if they're open and if they, or if they're guys who think they know it all already. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think I think those guys definitely, all three of them deserve some recognition because they are guys who put themselves out there, you know, out of their own pocket. They'll pay to go and cross the world to to spend some time with the team. So yeah, awesome. I think um, yeah, I think that's the goes back to networking as we mentioned mm, yeah 100 percent. all right james it's been awesome catching up mate and uh, chatting uh about your time over in europe and especially with the the french team and really looking forward to how the six nation rolls out and i'll be uh i'll be supporting france um i've got uh, that that's my dog in the fight and i uh, can't wait to see how it goes thanks very much andy pleasure to be on thanks mate yeah. all the best cheers mate cheers for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.